Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. Hopefully you're having a great start to your week and it's been fantastic to hear from so many coaches who are making plans to get back out on the grass safely as soon as possible in some areas of the world. Now since our last podcast, we've hosted another live webinar event with skill acquisition expert Rick Shuttleworth. This was a brilliant and challenging discussion with a great turnout of coaches. The replay will be available on the PDP website for members very shortly, and a huge thanks to Rick for his time and expertise. Last week, we also published a new masterclass discussion called Building Connections, which features Keith and David Mayer, authors of Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly. Finally, our replay of our recent webinar with Professor Stephen Rolnick and Edu Rubio is now live on the website, and this one is essential viewing, so don't miss it. Today's podcast is our latest piece of content, a Q&A from the website where we tackled the question, should my club trial players? Now this is a common question from a lot of coaches and one that often causes great debate. For this one, I was joined by PDP coaching advisor James Coots to take this one on and we try to present a discussion which throws up the pros and cons and a lot of different considerations for clubs. A quick reminder that you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com and remember you can currently access a 30-day free trial to the platform when you join us. Head over to the website and set up an account on either a monthly or annual subscription and you'll get access to our vast library of content including live sessions, articles, the latest research and hundreds of videos plus the interactive PDP Slack community. Thanks for joining us today, I really hope you enjoy the discussion. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Really pleased to be joined by PDP coaching advisor, James Coots. James, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How about you? I'm good, I'm good. And uh, we've got a really challenging question, which has come in a few times from various PDP members on the Slack community. Uh, Now, the question is essentially, should my club run trials for players? Now, to give some context for those tuning in, we've had a number of different members from you know, all around the world, different coaches under sort of asking for some understanding on how we can uh, run trials, how we should grade players, how we should set teams up. And this is a really polarizing topic. So, Kuti, what are your first thoughts on this one, mate? Um, I think the first thing from my point of view is that there's definitely not an exact right or wrong way here. Um, there's not an exact way that yeah, everybody should be following. So we've got to take a lot of that into consideration. Um, I think it's really understanding uh, what we're looking for, what we're trying to pick and the reasons behind it. I guess there's been, I've certainly had mixed experience with this as both a player um, being judged and and going to a trial game and knowing it's a trial game and the pressure of knowing that one bad pass and you see people start jotting down on their notepads and you're thinking, oh, is that me done now? I'm not in. Um, so yeah, there's mixed experiences from here. I think it's something we really need to take into account. Yeah, lots to consider. And for those tuning in, if you haven't watched the masterclass on talent ID and youth development with Nick Levitt, who was formerly head of talent ID at the FA, highly recommend that um, as a sort of broader conversation on talent ID. But look, we'll throw some ideas around. So I think that the first question is why are we grading? And if we think about the purpose of that, well, traditionally club structures, competition structures will dictate that there are leagues that teams play in when they're playing organised football. And those leagues tend to be stronger to weaker in terms of the quality of football maybe they're social maybe they're more competitive and of course age and stage comes into this as well so we've seen models like Belgium where they've 
overhauled things from 1v1s right through to 11v11 and, and, and the result of that over the last 10 or 15 years, or 20 years really, um, and how that's kind of evolved people's thinking around the size and formats of games. But when we're grading players, essentially my perspective on this is that we are trying to put kids into a box so that we can put them in a competition structure that's easy to manage. And I get that there are logistics with organized sport and football, but Kuti, what do you think in terms of purposes of why we're grading and potentially with what we're actually assessing in all of this? Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so broad because when you're just chatting then, I was thinking about, I say, why we're grading and, and kind of what we're grading on. So what are we actually looking at when, when these kids are being, or these mm. children are being, are being graded? Are we, are we looking at, or are we grading an area that we really feel there's a high potential um, that we can really work on? And as we've spoken about, can be a super strength for bears. Are we looking at, okay, they're very weak in this area. So that we're judging them badly here. Mm. However, again, if you're judging a right winger, um, who's very quick, very good at dribbling and you're judging them really poorly on heading is like little things. Like that. For example, does it matter that much? Like yeah. in terms of those gradings and is it, um, is the grading process at your club or your district or wherever, is the environment and that process, I guess, conducive for the young players coming in and displaying their most natural game and their most mm. natural ability as opposed to the um, old-fashioned way, as I say, of having a trial game, whether it be one, two, maybe a couple of weeks, you feel that pressure, you feel tense, you know you're getting judged on yeah. every little thing you do. Are you are you being yourself there? Are you showing what you can do? And are we looking at that enough? I think that's something that um, really needs to be considered when these trial process, processes are being organized and arranged. Mm. I think there needs to be deeper thinking in terms of this for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been lucky enough in the past to work with some great recruitment people, some great scouts. Um, and questions I'd often ask are, what are the things you look for? You know, you're looking at players, and this might be in academy um, scenarios, for example, but they would say that, look, they would try and keep things glass half full and look for, you know, attributes. What does this player do well? So you touched on the idea of super strengths. I think it's really easy for us and, and, and to cite the work of uh, Professor Stephen Rolnick, who we've got some masterclasses with. He, he talked about the idea of deficit detectives. And uh, it's very easy for coaches and adults to look at things with a glass half full and, and be critical and say, well, that player is not at the level or that player is not doing this, as opposed to what are you doing really well and then communicating that with a player. So that's the first thing. So what are we looking for in the player? What's our model at the club? What's the purpose of youth development? If we think about age and stage, well, when players are coming into organised football for the first time, it's got to be to fall in love with the game. It's got to be to enjoy the experience, to play with their friends and so on. And then maybe as they move through the phases and ages, then there's going to be a more competitive team and there's going to be others that just want to play with their mates all the way through. So we've got to factor that in. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to, a lot to sort of consider there um, around what we're looking at. And the, the last thing for me is having stood on the sideline and been asked to, you know, look at players for selections and to sort of grade players or, or, or that kind of thing. I think without knowing the context, so let's take a group of under 12s and we say there's a dozen under 12s on the pitch, they're playing a 6v6, we're looking at them. Unless I've got the information of the player's sort of footballing age, and that means how many years they've been playing, because one 12-year-old could have been playing for two years and another could have played for six years. Unless I know a little bit more about that player, um, you know what their what their day's been like, and I'm not saying you have to go and interview every kid before the game starts. But I think clubs should be working to develop kind of player passports or at least some some information which creates context around the person. 
to then hand that to people watching a game and say, well, actually this player's bounced around three or four clubs and this player's played for only a year and actually used to play rugby or, or did something else. So having that context is going to help you um, with what you're looking for. So a little bit of a rant around two or three points there, but for me, there's a lot to consider when we're, when we're putting a line through players, you know? Yeah, I think, um, again, some yeah, really valid points in terms of what you're saying and those experiences. I know I've been through them as a player and I'm very conscious now when being a part of the process, the other side. And, and just as you were talking then, something that comes to mind that I'd like to maybe do is, and as you said, about knowing the players as much as possible. How many clubs or people out there would gather information pre-trial from the players? Get some information, and we talk a lot, and obviously advocates of IPPs and individual plans for players and stuff like that. Do we ask questions prior to trials of the players? Do we try and get as much detail as possible? And I guess the, the ones who know the players the most throughout the year would be the coach prior. Does that coach prior have contact, the club prior? Do we know as much as we do or should know prior to a trial that might only be a 90-minute game at some point? Like Some players have that process. Um, so I think finding different ways for clubs when you're going through the trial press trial process to know the players as much as possible and to create an environment and a process that allows them to show not just who they are now but what hopefully they can potentially become and I know that's Mm. something that we've spoken about in terms of are we assessing for now for next season to win our our league competition in under 13s or are we are we looking for three four five year pro progress because we see something in them as a player that we can really work with and I think that Mm. is a danger amongst young football or youth football sorry that there is a lot around the strength the size the speed (laughs) at a young young age Um, because people coaches parents clubs see the value in an under 13 Mm. under 14 win being so vital Yeah, look, I think recruitment in itself and scouting in itself is an art form. You know, we have to respect that that is an industry. There's industry experts that, you know, go away and do qualifications, go away and get experience working in this this part of the game. And it's something that, you know, having an eye, you know, people traditionally talk about somebody who had an eye to pick up talent or an eye to spot talent. Um, That's a skill set in itself to be able to... to, I guess, pick potential. And for me, there's no crystal ball. You know, again, having worked in academy environments where players will come and go, clearly we get it wrong. Adults get it wrong because otherwise players wouldn't be released or they wouldn't have adversity. Um, So I think we've got to look at, you know, again, the sort of broader system. And, And for me, it's about who's going to be brave enough, whether that's on a national level or whether that's a state level, um, to say, you know, we're actually going to do away with age groups and we're going to try that and maybe we're going to test it because I would argue that tradition and convention is what dictates most sporting structures and competition structures and processes. And we talk about developing pathways. We talk about developing systems and models, but actually there's, there's no sort of straight line to any of this. And if we just do things based on age groups, is that again, just for convenience? So maybe there's room for somebody to be really brave who's in one of those positions to say, actually, we're going we're gonna to allow registered players to move and float between teams and you're registered to a club, but you can go and float this week and, and maybe there's, there's caps on how many players can move at one time, but there's got to be some, I guess, open-mindedness around what are we putting first in our youth systems? 
those youth sporting systems have to be there for the benefit of the player, for the benefit of the person, um, to ensure they stay in the in the sport for as long as possible, whatever the code. Um, so I think I think that's up for debate as well. I think that's a, a great point, mate. And I know you obviously have a lot of um, insight in, especially your new role now in this kind of industry. And I think one thing that come to me as you were talking then and previously is, like I say, we get judged throughout that year with that team in that specific league or whatever throughout. But I know a few years ago, biobanding was something that was very popular and spoken about a lot. And when I went back home a few years ago now and watching Bournemouth and I know Bournemouth and Watford were big drivers of it early on. How many, I guess, and this is something that people hear the top teams doing it and like the, the EPL clubs, for example, that they do it. I don't think they realize that this is something that they can do in their community clubs. They can do in the real world every day, every week. If you can have those conversations and as you said, that open-mindedness to, okay, take a step back. Are we developing everybody? Have we mm. got the structures in place to, to allow that to happen? Obviously we're governed by leagues and by age groups and stuff like that. And mm. yeah, the question you pose there, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime <laughs> soon, but I love the, I love the idea, but can we do something within our own control in terms of our teams and allow that to happen? How many clubs mm. and community teams out there would do mixed age group nights and yeah. have, street football nights where the under 12s and 14s or you do it biobanding or or yeah. however you want to do that because you might see something in a player who might just be struggling in his own age or her own age group a little bit maybe because of um just size maybe because of confidence maybe because mm. of the social dynamic in the group you might change them and put them in another situation and they might really thrive and it might yeah. you know, wow, we've seen something here that we hadn't seen in this set structured environment we currently have. So I think asking those questions as a club, yeah. whether it be the TD with the coaches, the coaches up or whatever it might be, constantly asking the question, are we doing the best thing here for the planet? Have we got the right environment, the right processes, whether it be trial processes um, throughout the year? What we've got in place now, is it the best? If not, what can we do to improve it? And, and yeah. share ideas and talk about it. That's the way we're going to improve this. Yeah, it's a great question. It should underline everything. You're preaching to the converted on that front, mate, because it's, it's a really good sort of principle, I think, to, to put at the forefront of everything you do. I think in terms of practical advice, obviously with these Q&As, we often sort of flip between both sides and we try and, try and I guess, share a pretty... Um, you know, a pretty, or keep an even keel and, and I guess look at both sides of the spectrum. So your your advice around how clubs can actually implement this, again, it doesn't have to be that formal competition structure. If we say that we've got two sessions in a game and that the game on, on Saturday or Sunday is going to be in a league structure, then what are we doing on a Thursday night internally within our club to say, right, 12s, 14s, playing against each other and so on. So great advice there. If we sort of flip it, uh, flip it around a little bit and we think, you know, you're an ex-professional player, you've come through these academy systems, I've worked in these systems, and we look at it and we talk about the idea of um, talent development environments with the idea of best with best and, and stretch. Um, so I, I know Marco Sullivan's contributed a lot of content to the website. His argument in, on this topic for a long time has been as many as possible for as long as possible in the best environments possible, which fundamentally aligns with PDP and, and our sort of message around creating better environments. But there is a place along that journey for athletes who might be showing some talent, might be showing some ability, who then need stretch at whatever stage. We're not saying let's go and sign under sixes, but it might be at under 15s, under 16s as they're progressing through the pathway, that best with best becomes important to ensure they get an experience and they get an appropriate challenge. What are your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, as you say. It's always been kind of saying the best of best. And um, as you get older, in particular, I remember coming through a system at Southampton there and they were very big on promoting up. So when you were an under 15, going up into the under 17s at the time was like an amazing experience. And then it, it did create a little bit of that winning, well, not winning mentality, but that, um, I guess that inner drive, if, if yeah. players didn't have it in the other younger age groups to go yeah, I want to be there and I want to get up to that. And I guess, again, with that, it's the, the double-edged sword, isn't it? That you've got the lads who are going up there and really getting that confidence being with the best. And then you've got the ones that are left behind. Mm-hmm. And it's as well being conscious about where they're at, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, because I know it's been spoken a lot of times, I feel it's changed now. However, the, the smaller players in stature, mm-hmm. but do they get stretched enough against players older who might be physically um, a lot more I guess better off than what they are so mm-hmm. I think there's there's a couple of ways of looking at that mate I really I think the best for best is something that is is always going to be there and I really do yeah. I really do buy into that because a stretch is really important and then I think it's with the the other ones who might not quite be there yet is have we got processes or plans in place with them to have them go up there dip their toes and see where they're out with it and then and then maybe come back. I, I remember saying a couple of years ago here, and I'm not sure if it was Pochettino at Tottenham. It might have mm-hmm. been. Sure, there was an EPL club where the the head coach had it on a bit of a rostered system. There, mm. there'd be two to four youth players train with them, and it would be for like say a two week period, and then yep. they would go back. And then was that Tottenham? Do you, have you heard? Of that? Yeah, look, I'm I'm not sure. I know it happens where where clubs do bring youth players, and I know, for example, with the All Blacks, they've had. Um, sort of future players go on tour and they might just travel with the team. So that's something that's been done in that environment with a view to, okay, in a year or two, we expect this player to be there. Um, yeah. So it's certainly something that's worth exploring. And I think it's one that, yeah, I think, again, it's practical. Can we use that at our club? Can we use yeah. that at a community level? And think, my opinion is, yes, we can. If we've got, and I've been in clubs where coaches don't want their players going from under 12 <laughs> to under 14s because I've got a big game this weekend and I need to win it. Yeah. When actually in terms of their development and their individualized plan, hopefully in kind of doing the best for the player, would it be beneficial for them to go up and, and have a look and see where they're at? Because mm. they'll surprise you. They might go up there and be like, oh, do you know what? They were superb. They come in, they mm. had the confidence, they, in terms of game awareness, stuff like that. So I think taking children out of their comfort zones in ways like that is a mm. bit of like an unofficial trial process, if you know yeah. what I mean. That's testing them throughout the duration of your season. Yeah. And then you're getting, t- getting answers to questions over a longer period as opposed to a two-session trial at the end yeah. of the season for the next year. So you're finding out. Yeah. I think that's important. And again, it goes back to, are we doing, are we doing what's best for the player? Mm. Is our environment conducive to, to player development? Yeah, look, I think another practical solution here is handovers between coaches. So let's say you're creating the best environment you've got uh, within your club and you've got some continuity within coaches. Now, that might mean coaches going up with the age groups, but it might mean a, a coach stays with you know the under-12s and then pushes those players onto under-13s and they get a new coach the next year, whatever your system is. But if it is sort of um, more inclined to the second example, then there's no reason why at the end of the year your 12s coach can't sit down with your 13s coach and say, hey, here's, here's some info on my players. 
Here's everything I've learned this year about these individuals. Here's how this player responds when the pressure comes on. Here's what this player loves to do. Here's this player's favorite position and their second favorite position. And you're aggregating that information, keeping it internal. And, and obviously in this day and age, it's not that hard to actually store that somewhere. Whether you're using a Dropbox for your club or whatever it is, you can actually start aggregating some information on those players and building a little bit of a database to, to again, ensure that, that their objectives and, and their desires in terms of playing the game are being met because that's what it's all about. So I think it's really important that we look at how we can communicate internally, what we can what we can do internally. And then just on your point around maturation, you, you touched on the physical side with smaller players and, and their development. I think also like we can stand on the side of a game and look at that big, fast, strong player that you saw earlier and go, yep, that's the best player on the park because they're influencing the game right now. But again, I've seen this in, in, in content I've read around rugby league and rugby union as well where they're late maturation sports and you might often have a really big physical specimen and I've coached players like this in football who've got a natural advantage early on so how are we catering for that player now that might be playing up if they're emotionally ready to do it it might be that um, we need to be really working on their skills because within the game they're going to get away with things technically which a smaller player might not because they've got that physical advantage so maybe it's doing extra work and really honing in on first touch and receiving skills and releasing skills for this player because we have to cater for all shapes and sizes and you know as a small player myself I always felt the sympathy for the smaller guy on the pitch but we do have to think about the big ones and making sure that they're being stretched as well so maturation is certainly a key component of this. Yeah I think that's a really vital thing to to look at here because uh, I guess the generic look or response is about smaller players and giving them time, giving them opportunities to develop, et cetera, physically. However, mm -hmm. going back again to what we talk about when we do IPPs with players or plans individually with players and what building on players' super strengths, it's certainly we want to have a positive approach to development. However, with lads who physically might be at a point where they're really, um, I, I guess, above their natural age limit and they're really within their age group they're showing that physicality that they're way above everybody else mm. i guess that is a super strength of theirs right now however in five six seven ten years time when people have caught up or players have caught up what else are we doing with them as you say technically and tactically to ensure that they've got other strengths of their game mm that will keep them at the level that hopefully they can get to because yeah. it's so many times where the the biggest strongest fastest kid as a 13 year old he's dropped out by 16 17 or technically yeah. and tactically he he's not at the level required because as a young kid everyone tells him how good he is because he's looking <laughs> to the big ball over the top and he can run mm. faster than anybody else and it's yeah. it's that type of those conversations we really need to be having like say to make sure that everyone is yeah. having the opportunity to develop here. So yeah, that's mm. a great one. Yeah, look, I think diversity in the way you select players is, is critical as well. So I think, look, there's a, there's a few sort of key pieces of takeaway advice. I think my view is that I'm not, um, I'm certainly not criticizing competition as a concept. I think you should be competitive in the environment. Your sessions should be competitive. They should be at a tempo and a level. But I think what I'm critical of is competition structures. So again, who's brave enough to challenge that? What can you do internally with your club? Can you move players around? Can you create informal games nights? 
and obviously accepting that most coaches are living in a world where there is a structure. If you're going to go and run trials and grade players, then make sure that you've got as much information as possible. Make sure you've got a view uh, as to what you're looking at because you might know what you're looking for and what you want in a player, but do you understand the context of those individuals in front of you? Because a lot of these systems and environments we create sort of, for me, fall back on that concept of control and, and easy to organize systems for adults because we have to manage all of these players in front of us. But again, don't be afraid to innovate. So that's kind of my little ramble. Kutsi, any final thoughts on this one just to wrap it up for us? Yeah, mate, I'd say, like you say, find out as much as you can about the players throughout the season prior as long as you can um, because the one guarantee with this, you're not going to please everybody no matter what you put in place. However, if you've got as much information behind you as you can, then that really does, hopefully allows you to be comfortable with the decisions you've made in the, in the trial process. Um, and also parents will come back at you and say, little Johnny just had a bad day at school yesterday. He was really, if he comes in in a couple of weeks, honestly, he's going to show what he can do and all this mm. type of stuff, which happens in real world. But if you really, I guess, throughout the year, have that thought process of are we creating the right environment here for these players to learn and and that's where I guess hopefully you'll see you'll see where they are and then you can have those conversations but no it's not an easy one to discuss <laughs> no exact right or wrong as we say however I would certainly be going away from the one or two game trial process where we yeah. all stand with a clipboard and just judge players based on one game I think for me anyway that's a bit it's not fair in terms of the players and and are we really seeing the best talent out there I'm not sure Absolutely. Lots to consider. It's a really challenging question. Hopefully for those that have asked it on the Slack community, we've helped. Kuti, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyable discussion. Always good, mate. Always good. Excellent. And we'll look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.